It's a little-known fact that Cheerscast is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. You never mentioned this guy to me, how come? Well, there's not much to say. He's a man I dated a bit in Europe. Oh, was that before or after you dumped Dr. Crane and sent him into an alcoholic tailspin? <laughs> um, after. How long after? <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me here to discuss the fourth season episode, Fear is my co-pilot, returning guest of the show, Blaine Dowler. What's up, man? Oh, well, <laughs> it, it's summer. That's, that's a loaded question because of when we <laughs> record this and when people will actually listen to it. There will be quite a difference in your life. Yes, we are recording this five days before they're planning to induce labor in my wife so that gives people a fair idea of where things are at now versus later Uh, also i'm in canada and specifically alberta so we're also recording this a week after our provincial leadership decided to remove all covid related restrictions because there's other things in the world than covid even though we were seeing exponential growth in numbers at that point and one day after the federal health minister said alberta can you give us the science behind this choice please share your science so things are possibly that, about to get very interesting that type of thinking and behavior is not unique to your part of the world i'll tell you no but it's <laughs> there, there there are definitely some areas our our side of the border where they're like yeah we're just going to lift the restrictions because why well we had exponential growth now they're saying you know the numbers are trending down it's like yeah you stop mandatory testing mm-hmm. that's why they're mm-hmm. trending down yeah yeah uh, there's no mask requirements. There's no need to isolate, even if you know you've tested positive. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> yeah, so let's just maybe, all the maybe you could do without walking out of the house. Yeah. Maybe in a few months when people listen to this, that'll sound ridiculous and we'll be in a different stage. So we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, anyway, we're talking about Fears My Co-Pilot. You requested this episode a long time ago, maybe even back when I was doing the second season. You might have put, pitched it for this one. I'll ask you why you you uh, you requested this episode specifically, but I think it'll, it'll probably make more sense, as you said, for us to talk about that later on in our discussion uh, after we go over what this is. So, diving into it, Season 4, Episode 21, Fear is My Co-Pilot, and yes, that title is a nod to the movie God is My Co-Pilot. Um, this is written by Sherry Eakin and Bill Steinkellner, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, March 13th, 1986. Jack Dalton, an adventurous world traveler and pilot whom Diane dated during her wild spree in Europe after dumping Fraser, comes back into her life when he stops by Cheers. His gregariousness and wild enthusiasm quickly wins over everyone at the bar, except for Sam and Fraser, who each may be feeling a bit jealous, as well as Diane herself, who has tried to forget that part of her life. When Jack tries to recruit Diane on a trip around the world, she tells him that she has settled down in Boston and isn't the same woman he knew before. Dismayed by the loss of what Jack sees as a kindred-free spirit, Jack guilts Diane into taking one last flight on his private airplane. Diane acquiesces and coaxes Sam into joining them so she won't be alone with Jack. 
That night, Jack takes the two of them up on his plane. Once they're at a cruising altitude, he asks Diane to take control and Sam to sit up front while he checks on something in back. This unexpected responsibility frightens Sam and Diane, but their fright turns to terror when Jack doesn't return and Diane finds him lying down without a pulse. Desperately, Sam and Diane try to manage the aircraft's controls, but, well, they suck at it and the plane starts to go down. Fearing that they're about to die, Diane thinks of all of the things she's never going to do, and Sam tells her that they should have gotten married when they had the chance. Then, abruptly, Jack pops up, alive and well. He tells them that he faked his death in order to pull them into a life-or-death situation so they would face their mortality and come out with a rejuvenated sense of life. Later at the bar, Sam and Diane agree not to speak of the feelings they confess to aboard the plane, even though they both now realize how each other feels for the other. Alrighty, Blaine, why did you pick this episode? What do you want to talk about? Uh, I'll leave most of the rabbit hole for later. But... <laughs> the Jack Dalton of it all. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, one of the other 80s shows I still go back to and watch is MacGyver which has a recurring character named Jack Dalton, Mm -hmm. who is a risk-taking pilot. Mm -hmm. And knowing that Cheers had already crossed over with Sing Elsewhere at this point, I was thinking, hmm, maybe this was intended to be a MacGyver crossover. And I have dug into that, but that's getting into kind of a deep rabbit hole that is not Cheers-related. So I don't know if we want to do that right now or if we want to... Let's say that towards the end and speak more to what's what's going on in this episode. Um, For my part, and this was something I never... And again, this is one of those things like where once once you know you have to overanalyze something for the podcast, you look at it with a new lens. Um, And I always just thought that this was kind of a fun, slightly unusual episode. I mean, to put them you know, out of the bar in this very kind of unique claustrophobic setting of putting them in the cabin of an airplane for like half the episode. Um, and then to put them in this near death situation where we really see uh, the acting from both Shelley Long and Ted Dance to show their fear and their, and their, you know, desperation in this, I think is really, really strong in the second part of this episode. But I always kind of thought about it as just sort of a weird outlier that the cheers would do that and put them in the setting. Then I started thinking about maybe this Jack Dalton character is a catalyst more for just the plot of this episode um, and within the, the the show itself because I have been really impressed by this fourth season in a way that I wasn't remembering. I was just remembering it as the, the first Woody season and Woody was good but not great at the beginning and it sort of took a little while. And I forgot about this this element of the Sam and Diane relationship, which I, I used to call the detente, where they're together but not. For, for the, the, the life of the Sam and Diane years, the first five years, like their story is the heart of the show. Cheers was the Sam and Diane show. And we've now had them apart for two years. And there might be some complacency in the relationship and the part of like the, the episodes just on a day-to-day basis. And I think the writers and the showrunners knew we need some kind of catalyst. We need something to put them 
possibly back together, which is where we'll be going towards the season finale, at least the potential that these two will get back together. What could do that? What could put these two who have every reason not to get back together because they know each other so well and they know the danger? What might get them to confess their love for each other? Well, maybe if their lives are literally in danger. Um, so I think maybe that was the, the thinking behind this episode, that we needed some really extreme outside force to put them in a position where basically just to throw them out of their rut. And then that's where Jack Dalton And he actually voices those sort of on a metaphorical level. He tells Diane, I saw you had been, you were settled and comfortable and you needed, I needed to shake you up. He tells her that. What do you think? Does that, is that making sense? I think so. Yeah, this is, it's not as funny as a lot of the other episodes. Like I said, a lot of it is just Sam and Diane in a plane cockpit, which is, you know, a lot of that was with the set. The driver in me was sitting there going, there's no streetlights in the sky. How are they seeing outside of the plane when it's black around and brightly <laughs> lit in? They would just see themselves reflected. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that's something that's, the alternative is natural lighting, which would make it much harder to watch and completely blow the budget because then they couldn't just have a clock pit in a soundstage. You mm. know, you could, you could see the walls and stuff behind it. So I get why they did it. But yeah, I think the purpose of this episode was to nudge them that step forward. So this is an episode that really puts plot first and character second, which is not the typical Cheers approach. Right, right. Moving through the the beats in our teaser Woody is upset because it's five o'clock and he says every day at this time someone comes in that just talks his ear off and blabs and like rambles on and everything. And it's kind of funny because like I anticipated Carla's joke to a point. I was like, oh, he must be talking about Cliff. That's going to be the joke. And she's like, just tell the guy to shut his stupid, his big ugly face or something. He's like, oh, no, no, it's not Mr. Clavin. And then. Frazier steps in and he tries to counsel Woody on how to address this. He's like, many people don't realize that they're going on and on. And as we do this, we see Frazier start to babble to himself. And the rest of the bar is getting more and more uncomfortable. And then they all take Frazier's advice when he says, if somebody's doing this, just turn around and walk away from them. And the whole group, like five people, just get up and walk away from him. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then he catches on. He's like, and what is it? He, oh, you merry band, as he starts laughing to himself. Yeah, that one I, I really appreciated. Again, the logic got me a little bit because if this is – Cheers does not have a huge staff. So when we're just talking about this guy who keeps coming in and talking his ear off every day at five, it's like how do the other people already – or not already know who he's talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, it's – so there's a little question that's set up, but, but they landed that. And a lot of it was just Frazier's obliviousness where he thinks they're just pranking him and not actually serious. Right, right, when yeah. When saying you married back like that, that really landed it for me. Yeah, so. s- still not picking up on the fact that it's like, no, you you are the problem here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, then we jump into it, and Diane is late to work, and Carla is anticipating she's coming up with some lame excuse, but she doesn't really. She just says that she overslept, and her down comforter was, was so comfortable and again, I think this is a little bit of foreshadowing Jack's assessment that she is too settled. She is too content in this part of her life. The fact that she would just oversleep because she has a nice bed. Whereas, you know, he talk, he'll later talk about, you know, he spent the last year in Tibet and everything in the mountains and stuff. So, 
there's there, there's a great little exchange once once Sam says that you know Jack Dalton called and uh, she she eventually kind of mentions that Jack was somebody that she dated in Europe. I like that they're sort of fleshing this out because really not since the beginning of the the season you know we heard that she had this kind of wild spree where she, like everybody across Europe knew what she was doing and and Fraser was the butt of these jokes, but we haven't gotten details and this one we get a little bit of that fleshed out. And she says that she dated him when she was in your. And Woody goes, "Was that before or after you dumped Doctor Crane and left him an alcoholic?" And she's like, mm-hmm. "After." And of course, she doesn't even notice Fraser standing right behind her. And he's like, "How long after?" I liked his beat there. Yeah, yeah, it does a really good setup. And like we said last time I was on, and you said many times when I haven't been here, Cheers is very good about making sure that when a character doesn't have a lot to do in that episode. The little bit that they do have to do is very good. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Cliff's got a moment. So when Dalton is taking them out and just coming up, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. You know, he's obviously trying to invite himself on the flight. He's like, yeah, that'd be interesting. And Doc, Dalton's like, yeah, I'll. I'm sure we'll tell you all about, about it. it as he like spins him around physically, like manipulates Cliff's body to turn him around and send him back down the stairs. I love that bit. That was good. The fluidity of that. Yeah. Yeah. With that, uh, with yeah. Um, you know, when Jack. When Dalton first comes in and he greets people by, oh, I love like, <laughs> by like greeting Diane and lifting in the air by putting his hands right under her butt across the top of her thighs, spins around. Same greeting for Carla, then starts doing that with the guys holding them above the waist. Yeah, so does it to Woody and then does it to Cliff and finally the best part, Norm just steps up, uh, arms open. He's like, I am yeah, Norm Peterson. Or- Jack's just, yeah, like, just like, go ahead, my turn, and yeah. shakes hands. Yeah, he just he assesses him. He's like, hey, Norman, shakes his hand. Yeah. Um, get, getting back to that, what did you think of Frasier in this episode? I don't know if I would have the same reaction if I was watching it in sequence, because in my own rewatch now, I'm about halfway through season seven. Mm-hmm. So watching it a little bit out of place. Thinking back on it, it feels more like maybe it this kind of reaction should have been more like early season four. Like maybe he should have moved past it a little bit more by now. But, you know, his lines are great about, you know, how he's still stuck and he's still upset and all that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I actually did like a, a lot of it. It's just... I, I kind of felt the same. Like he had some funny lines and there's a lot of like self-deprecating humor at his expense. Like how pathetic he was that Diane left him and Carla points and puts him down a couple of times at that. But some of his lines came off as a little bit petulant and a little bit just like, like okay, I understand she she wrecked your life, but at this point it's it's been almost the entire season, and I think by now we've had that episode with Jennifer Tilly second time around where they really tried to buck him up and and try to like give him like a new break. I was like I kind of this this felt sort of like a regression for for Frazier to go back and to be this kind of mean and a little bit spiteful towards her. Towards uh, towards uh, Diane, I mean, I know I, I felt I felt some of his dialogue was a little bit more grating than it was funny. To me, that kind of comes through the, the whole episode. That mm. there there is a little more spite. It's less light comedy. Yeah. Um, I mean, to compare it to something else, I was having an online discussion with earlier because people were talking about Doctor Pulaski on Star Trek Next Generation, and most of the time, Cheers, you know, when they're taking pot shots at each other, it was like. Spock and McCoy in the original series where they jab each other, but you know, they respect each other. Mm-hmm. And when they tried reproducing that with Pulaski and data in the second series of TNG, it didn't work partly because data was established in a fan favorite. And partly because you didn't get the feel that there was 
good nature ribbing when there's mutual respect, you got the feeling that there was no respect from Pulaski to Data, which completely changed it. And that's what I was feeling here. Like a lot of it, aside from when Carla takes pot shots at Cliff because she does not respect him. Right. Right. Other than that, it is kind of this good natured job. So when they take pot shots at each other, it's often in ways where, you know, they'll each laugh at the jokes. They'll, you know, they recognize that it is funny. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, they could laugh at it. There wasn't as much of that here as I'm used to. I I felt that it was, I don't know, I guess maybe it's because, like we said, that this episode feels more utilitarian than anything else. It really feels like we need to push them into this situation to get them together. So it felt more like, you know, there wasn't any passion behind this plot line. It was just, this is what we need to have. Let's just get it done. Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty exemplified by the fact that it is a literal outside force, an outside agent that we have never seen or even heard of before who comes in like a whirlwind and just disrupts this part of their life. Um, I, I think that that is the, the perfect demonstration that this is a forced shakeup of the status quo on the part of the showrunners and the, and the producers and writers. So, Like I said, I, I, I like that they, they had hinted at Diane's craziness, but here that we find out that uh, she had run with the bulls in Pamplona, um, that she'd actually gone so far as walking around a, a nude beach, or semi-nude beach, as she describes it. Um, or se- yeah, no, she semi- said it was a semi-private beach. Um, yeah, she said it was a semi-private beach, so Sam could follow up saying, well, it used to be a semi-private bottom. Yeah, exactly. That was a good one. Um, and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Again, like talking about like where, like fortunately, like where their descriptions and where where the characters will go before. You know, Jack mentions that Diane turned down his offer to go around the world with him because she was still secretly in love with somebody in Boston. He's like, wasn't a baseball player or something? And Sam overhears this, um, and I like this Diane's cover. It's like, oh yeah, Mickey Mantle. It didn't work out. Who didn't play for Boston? But I I don't know that we have to hold that against Diane. Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't expect Diane to know that. Yeah. Anyone else in the bar, that, <laughs> I would say that's a continuity error because anyone else in that bar would know that. Right. But compared to where Diane was in the pilot episode, the fact that she can name a baseball player other than <laughs> Sam yeah. is a major step up. There you go. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, at the very end of the episode, when once they've come back and everything like that, and, and she's like, I, I think it's best if we just don't talk about what happened on the plane. And Sam's like, what plane? What are you talking about? Like, completely on board with that. She still has to dig him a little bit and just say, it's like, okay, we're not going to talk about this, but we know the truth, that while we were on that plane, you said your heart's desire was to marry me. And he lets her get that victory. And I kind of think he could have thrown it back at him. He's like, yeah, but the reason you're not still with this Jack Dalton guy is because of me. You told him that like back like a year ago when you were running around, you know, Spain or whatever with this guy, you said you had somebody back in Boston and that's why you weren't with him. And I think Sam could have matched her on her final point, but instead they kind of give her the victory in that or or at least put her a little bit above him in their endless competition. She is the last word in that point, mm-hmm. but to me, I think that puts Sam above her because normally it has been give and take, and normally they couldn't walk away. So to me, that says Sam has matured in ways that Diane has not mm. because he's willing to just let that go because, as you said, he knows that it's mutual. That's a good point. 
Yeah, that's true. I also I, I did like the fact that like when when the, she says um, Jack is dead when she just like felt his pulse she's like trust me and he goes like hell I will like he doesn't believe her he's got to check for himself like, there's somebody mm-hmm. there's a dead person in the back of the plane yeah I'm gonna check that out for myself and I, I like it once she's taking control and she's just talking to herself she's like we're going to crash we're going to die they'll have to use our dental records to identify us and I haven't been to Doctor Oberdeen for so much as a polish in six months. <laughs> Which makes me wonder how often she usually goes because yeah, I think that's six like, months is kind of a standard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I know some people who push it to twelve, and yeah. that's without the pandemic. Right. I mean, I know some people who don't go to who don't go once a year even, uh, and uh, they, they just I mean they, for whatever reason for price for insurance and and they take well enough care of their teeth that they only see the dentist when they have a problem. But yeah, I've always felt like it is kind of like the standard routine for. Yeah, it's usually the recommendations. So again, this is a case of what, you know, what standard is Diane holding herself to? Because it does seem like six months feels long to her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she regrets it. Yeah. So it's one more piece of evidence that says that yeah, she is not part of the majority in mm-hmm. so many aspects of her life. Uh, we we haven't even mentioned that the character Jack Dalton here is played by Joseph Whip, um, who's been tons of things like. I, check out his long, long list of uh, credits on IMDb, frequently playing a cop or some sort of like uh, authority figure like that. Um, but he was in uh, the original A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, and then Wes Craven's like revisiting that with like Scream, but like yeah, lots of other things. Um, do you do you have a like a particular like uh, know him from some other role besides this? Nothing that really stands out. When I look at his IMDb photo, which is much more recent, mm-hmm. I, I make a connections that I wasn't making before because, you know, he has shaved the facial hair and put on a bit of weight. So he does look a bit different. Mm-hmm. So I didn't connect him. But, yeah, I have seen him because obviously he's got quite the list of credits. He doesn't seem to get a lot of regular roles. Mm-hmm. But he also doesn't seem to take a lot of time off working. No, yeah, definitely. He's got that consistency. So. And he, I think he does a great job in this as just like this larger than life, like just flying in there. I mean, from when he like steps in and just shouts chambers from across the room and everything. And just like the impression he makes picking up everybody, like half of the cat. And even even later on, like when he agrees to take Sam up on the plane and he tries to grab Sam and lift him up to it. Sam's like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And I also loved uh, when he lifts up uh, Carla and he's like, hey, Tortelli. And she's like, easy, Hercules. I just had chili or something like that. Um I agree with you that this is more of a plot-based episode than character-based because it's this sort of like artificial contrivance to to push these characters. But performance-wise, I definitely think we get a lo- we get some great acting out of Sam and Diane um, or Shelley and Ted as it is once they're in that plane, and that's that's one of those you know scenes where there's such a minimal amount they can do like in the physical space because of their confinement that they have to be really broad and expressive in their facial features and, and, and the dialogue. So I think, I don't know, I just thought that that was, I was impressed by what they gave us in that scene because, I mean, it's a sitcom. How how often do you, I mean, there's no, I mean, they're not going to die in a plane crash in the sitcom. You know, like they, we, we have to know in some part they're not really in danger. But I think mm-hmm. they sold it that they thought they were. Yeah, I, I think so too. Like, I mean, for all... Watching this the first time, mm-hmm. because he'd mentioned the monks, I kind of guessed where it was going. 
mm. where he said he learned the strictest slow the heartbeat because yeah. that's a bit of a trope. Yeah. But without that line, you could just as easily imagine that, you know, yeah, they, you know, they crash it in, into water and get rescued. And, and actually, I'll tell you from my, my personal experience, I didn't know about that trope until I saw this episode. I remember being a kid and like I, I wouldn't have seen this. Probably, I probably didn't watch this. It's an original run, but watching a repeat maybe later on during the Rebecca years and finding out that you could fake your death by slowing your heartbeat. And then it was like a few years later that I, I read a comic where Batman did that same type of thing. And I was like, oh, that's like a legit thing. Like that wasn't just like BS or something. So this was actually where I learned about that technique that has become a trope in a lot of, you know, adventure fiction and like, you know, those type of pulp character things. Yeah, I think I first read about it in a G.I. Joe comic when Snake Eyes did oh, that. Snake Eyes could do it, yeah. I'd probably yeah. Maybe it was Snake Eyes instead of Batman, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah so it, it it did happen. in yeah. At least in fiction it happens. I don't know how reasonable it is in real life. But yeah, Jack Dalton comes in and it's... I don't know if we want to start... Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Like, this is the whole thing we're dancing around, but yeah this, yeah, this weird sort of MacGyver and other Jack Dalton things with just like this type of name so go, go ahead because this was part of why you you picked this one it, it is because so i'm not a fan of macgyver and aside from macgyver himself and his boss pete thornton the third most frequently appearing character on that show was a pilot named jack dalton played by who, uh played by bruce mcgill <laughs> oh i loved was, i loved him in that role yeah i was yeah, thinking of him as d-day from animal house but yeah he, he's had so many parts since then too oh yeah it's he had a, a great uh button appearances on uh, quantum leap mm-hmm. so he was in the pilot and finale uh, he recently did a bunch on Rizzolian isles yeah he was uh, there he, was he, a there was an hbo uh, H, made for hbo movie called live from baghdad about cnn's coverage of the first iraq war um it had michael keaton in it and helena bonham carter and bruce mcgill played a real uh on-set reporter uh i can't think of the i can't think of the, the person's name now but he did it with a british accent so it's kind of interesting I, I remember him from that too yeah he's one of those really capable actors he he seems to fit whatever role he's in and it's mm-hmm. such a variety and his jack dalton is also a pilot yep who also like to take risks he's more charismatic and more likable but i suspect that's because the jack dalton we see in cheers who did appear first so I've, I've done some digging to find out if it was if this was intended as a crossover. Mm-hmm. We see Jack Dalton in Cheers first, and he is meant to be a foil. Yeah. So he's meant to push these two together, and some half your leads don't like him. So Dan wants to leave him in her past. Sam just doesn't want him part of their lives anymore at all. The fact that he's not as likable is appropriate to the story they are telling. Right. We, also know, we also know we also know he's a one off. I mean, like he'll, yeah. he's never coming back. So yeah. Yeah, whereas uh, Jack Dalton and MacGyver, I rewatched his first appearance, uh, season two, episode six, Jack of Lies, which aired a few months after this. So that, right, uh, this aired, the Cheers episode aired during the first season of MacGyver, and MacGyver's Jack Dalton shows up in the sixth episode of the second season of MacGyver. Okay. So it was just later that same year. Later that calendar year, but yeah, yeah, different, different, so... Yeah, November 3rd, 1986, for Cheers. And when we first meet Jack Dalton, it starts as a prank where he steals everything in MacGyver's apartment. MacGyver tracks his stuff down to a warehouse where Dalton is hanging from the rafters. And he's saying, well, this is a joke. MacGyver doesn't get it. It's too far. And 
you know, Dalton falls out of the rafters and make everything so he's going to, you know, land on the floor of this concrete warehouse and die. But no, he's got himself roped in. It was another prank. And it, so he's charismatic. He fakes his own death. He's doing a lot of the same stuff. And it really feels like they were so happy with Bruce McGill that they changed the ending. Because it initially, that episode looked like Jack Dalton was not going to survive. And then you find out in like a 30 second button at the end of the scene or at the end of the series or end of the episode, sorry. Mm. You know, MacGyver figures out, oh, wait a minute. If that's how he did it, he could fake that. No, he's out there. He's alive somewhere. And just based on reports of a scene shot in Mac's living room. So I think that Jack Dalton was also intended to be a one-off, but they changed their minds because they were happy with Bruce McGill. That's the feel I get. So digging into it, I found out that both characters are named after a character called Jack Dalton from the one-act melodrama, Curse You, Jack Dalton. (laughs) So I went back to that to go, okay, maybe this is coincidence, right? Uh, Wilbur Braun wrote that one-act play. So maybe the similarities are purely coincidental with these two larger-than-life pilots. And they were just both based on this same play. So I'm going to thank the the Pathdown players from the Pathdown Christian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, because they put on the play, recorded it, and posted it to YouTube. So I watched the play earlier this week, and even though I cannot find a single credited name in common between Cheers and MacGyver, I cannot believe this is coincidence, because the original play, the whole thing takes place in a living room, Jack Dalton, it's one of the, I don't know if it's just that version of the play. I think a lot of it is the script with the, they say show, don't tell. They tell you he's charismatic. He's not written particularly charismatic. But he he is the guy who's in the right social position. All the women want to marry him. His mother is trying to make arranged marriages. He's in love with the maid. And, you know, there's a series of coincidences. A whole bunch of these rich people are trying to marry money, not realizing everybody's broke. There's a a mine that's being involved. It's a neat little play. It's got a a few good jokes. Jack Dalton is not the lead. The villain is truly the lead, at least in this production. I don't know how faithful it was to the original text. Okay. But I'm not even sure that that play is set in a time when planes were invented. Jack Dalton (laughs) is not a pilot. He does not take risks. So, yeah, it's just one thing after another that just, does not seem I can't find any concrete proof that someone had the concept of this particular Jack Dalton did it in Cheers but that was a one off so they but they still wanted the character so they did it in MacGyver aside from them both being Paramount Productions I can't connect any dots but going back to that source material there's nothing else in common what would have been crazy is if the MacGyver producers had had even tried to get Joseph Whip to play the part and he was unavailable or something. So they got Bruce McGill. Um, I, I think Bruce McGill is the better actor and probably the better for the long term. Um, but yeah, that would have been, even if it was just like an, an unintended, like, yeah, we're just going to cast the same character, play the same type of part. But do you remember what network MacGyver aired on? I think it was CBS. Okay. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, I don't I didn't think they were on the same network. I was just wondering, but um, the Cheers guys they were the the writers and everything. I mean, they were pretty literary. I I would not be surprised at all if they hadn't seen that 
play or they weren't familiar with it. Um, but as you said, like there are no other noticeable like uh, connections. So maybe they just liked the name or something like that. It sounded like okay, I couldn't tell you. It, it just like the fact that there's like a play like with that name or something like that might have just been something that okay maybe something in the zeitgeist they heard that name they liked it. It sounds like kind of like a. Um, like a 40s pulp hero type of name for like a character like that or something. Um, the fact that, I mean, because even, I mean, MacGyver was an hour long show. They would have been filming those episodes well in advance. Um, so, I mean, if they were to come out the same, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, they would have been filming in advance, but I still looking at the release dates because it's a completely different season, mm-hmm. right? They don't start filming season two until after the renewals. Right. Right. The upfronts, right? right. So it's, so it definitely I'm, seems like they would have been inspired by, Hey, a pilot daredevil character type of that named Jack yeah, Dalton. Sure. It definitely yeah, seems sure the, like they would the have been cheers, inspired by cheers, but no, I'm sure the cheers episode would have aired before this came in. I just wonder if there's, if there's like a paramount producer or someone who was pushing this concept because there's the, the charismatic risk taking pilot, named Jack Dalton from this little known play. Like that's to me there I can't find anything concrete that says yes they came from the same source, but I that's way too many coincidences for me to just swallow it's that it wasn't some link somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean maybe Joseph Whip could have played MacGyver's interpretation of it because he he is a much more likable character there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with what Bruce McGill did with it. Yeah. This could be a case like, uh, you know, when Tom Selleck appeared in a couple episodes of The Rockford Files, he was a foil for Jib Rockford. So yeah. he was a very wealthy private investigator who was doing well, and he was a little more antagonistic. And the idea was that he was so popular in that they were going to spin him off into his own series with that character. But when they were developing the show, they realized, no, having this super rich guy, he's not likable right you're not as likable as the lead should be so they reworked it renamed the character and turned it into magnum pi saying well no he still has that fancy lifestyle but it's not his money he's yeah. living on someone else's property and borrowing the other guy's stuff <laughs> and grounded him and they so they did make the right choice to rename him but i wonder if it was almost the same thing where a character that appears as a foil in one in he's intended to continue but doesn't yeah well hey fraser started as a foil so, yeah, <laughs> go figure. Um, I, I think before we get into the superlatives, the last thing I wanted to mention, just getting back to sort of the performances of it all, um, Ted Danson does a great thing when they do their arm wrestling. Um, and first, there, there was a note that I saw on IMDb when Jack says, hey, Barkeep, like, I'll arm wrestle you for a beer. Woody says he was the arm wrestling champion of Posey County. And apparently Posey County is 200 miles away from... Hanover, Indiana, where Woody is supposed to be from. And they're like, would a country bumpkin like Woody have actually gone 200 miles away for an arm wrestling competition? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yep. But anyway, once he, once um, Jack arm wrestles Sam, I love that at first they're in this like stalemate where they're just saying, and Sam, Ted Danson does a great job of playing, trying to appear cool and relaxed while he's actually in a great amount of distress. And I think back to the the previous season when he accidentally shot himself in the ass, because he has that same thing, like, where he's, like, gritting through his, like, teeth, and he's like, so, Jack, how long are you in town for? <laughs> where he's, like, obviously trying with all of his might to hold his hand up. Yeah, but trying to play nonchalant. Like, mm-hmm. this isn't bothering me. Yeah. 
Um, it's a little-known fact, Cliffy's little factoid. This episode won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Sound Mixing for a Comedy. So for all of those button-pushing and engine whirs and noises and everything while they're up in the plane, got this episode an Emmy. Uh, for Norm's tab, he had three beers this episode. Uh, I have no idea how many he has had for the season because, for those of you, I, I kind of mentioned this at the beginning, but we are recording this quite a bit in advance, so I don't know where his total tally is. Um, but I will, I will update that on the next episode. Yeah, sorry guys, that was my fault. Ryan's recording this early to accommodate my schedule. You just had to have a baby this month. Okay. <laughs> um, for the employee of the week, who did you have? I was leaning – on the, as soon as I watched it, I was leaning a little bit to Frazier, but then I thought about where it was in the context of the season and realized it was a few steps back. So in the end, I am going to go with Sam okay. for the, the employee of the week, partly because he let that last jab lie, mm-hmm. which to me shows some growth in the character. He, he is moving on, plus just Ted Danson is really coming into his own. He's become a very good actor at this point. Yeah. Um, I give it to Diane, actually, um, just for a lot of her, a lot of the emotional and the scenes that she did in the plane, um, when she's kind of talking to herself, when she's like saying she's like, she's never going to get married, she's never going to have a baby, she's never going to grow old, she's never going to have a gray hair, and Sam's so like, no, you got one, and <laughs> points that out to her. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Jack, for being such a scene-stealing character, um, he was my runner-up, um, but I really thought this was... A, you know, like if you, you set that aside, Sam and Diane did so well in this episode. It could have been either one, but I thought Diane. I thought a little bit better. So, um, what was your home run, or what did you think was the the best moment or the funniest gag? I think that was the the end of the opening. Whenever it walks away from Frazier, because he doesn't get it, yes. and goes, "Oh, you marry band." Like he he thinks that they're in on his joke mm. and not doesn't realize that no he they're treating him yeah. so not only is that funny but his reaction just really nails it it shows so much about the character yeah um i loved it when jack like comes back to life and he takes over the the seat and the controls and he's justifying this horrible prank that he pulled on them and what they're doing they're they're furious and he says no you i had to push you to this point is like you, from this moment on you are reborn you're not going to hate me for this and he says food is going to taste better and sam has like a, a, a comment he's like i don't care and he's like flowers are going to smell better and sam jumps on it. he's like you're nuts and jack says sex is going to feel better and Sam has no comeback to that, and what I because he's thinking about it. And what I love is Diane picks up on it. Diane notices Sam's silence and looks around at him, like for real, <laughs> like that's what you're thinking about now. And I just mm-hmm. like that, like her response to Sam's non-response is what I thought was a really good moment. I also just love the whole inter- interplay, like the wind-up of Jack picking up every member of the bar, and then he finally gets to Norm. And that moment with Norm's just wide open arms, like, hi. And he's like, hey, hey, how are you? All right. Well, Blaine, thank you very much for coming back to Cheerscast to talk about this episode. Um, Where else can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Uh, All my podcasts are available through Bureau42.com. So I do have a few different shows that are on the go. One that I mentioned last time is an old-time radio show. And one of the old-time radio shows that I've decided to cover is Duffy's Tavern, which may be of interest to Cheers fans because it was developed by uh, Abraham Burroughs. Mm-hmm. 
and it's about a tavern in a bar, you know, Duffy's <laughs> Tavern, it, which inspired things on The Simpsons as well. You know, it's where the elite meet to eat is the, the slogan when Archie answers the phone. Duff beer <laughs> is a reference to Duffy's Tavern. And it feels a lot like the first season of Cheers, where you have, you know, the, the Staples staff, but the story is inspired by whoever walks in the door. Yeah. Which happened a lot more in the first season than later seasons. Yep. Um, so that'll be where the old time radio show goes starting in October. Right now we're wrapping up X minus one. Um, I also do 99 years, 100 films with Trey hooks where we are going through every best picture winner. And in terms of where we are right now, um, we are in terms of the episodes being released at the time of this recording, we are just wrapping up the 1940s and moving into the 1950s. So that's a month. Uh, I've got an X-Files retrospective where, as of this recording, the most recent episode is the original series finale before we go through the second movie in seasons 10 and 11. And that's the last one is Bedtime in the Public Domain, where I read stories that are now in the public domain, just a chapter a day. Uh, we are currently wrapping up Biltmore Oswald, Diary of a Hapless Recruit. And then starting in September, it'll be uh, Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells. Mm. Well, that's great. That's great. And thank you again for coming back to the show. Thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Right On Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, who sponsored this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite show on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. Chambers, I saw comfortable and safe and domestic written all over your face tonight, and I couldn't stand it. You needed this. You too, Malone. You needed a step to the brink. You needed to look into the gaping maw of death and live to tell about it. I'm going to stick my fist in your gaping maw. <laughs> oh, no, you won't. You live to thank me. From this day forward, you're reborn. Everything in your life's going to be better. You're, you're crazy. Food is going to taste better. I don't care. Flowers are going to smell better. You're, you're nuts. Sex is going to feel better. 